0: Welcome to Sharing My Truth with Mel and Susie, the uncensored version, where we bear it all. We do. <laughs> One, two,
1: three,
0: four. Hello, hello, hello. Welcome back. Welcome back to Share My Truth pod. You're here with Mel and Susie. Don't forget to give us a cute little five-star sexy review on this five-star review. Um, Tell us much you love us because we love you. You're going to really enjoy this episode that's coming up right after we shut the fuck up. I have a glass of rosé in my hand. She does. And (laughs) hey,
1: babes. (laughs) Hello, darling.
0: How are you? It's
1: been a long week. Too
0: fucking
2: long and it's it's Tuesday.
1: Tuesday. (laughs) (laughs) Well, we're saying it's Tuesday. It's Wednesday. It's Wednesday. Can you believe it? (laughs) <laughs> Can you believe it? It's been very long yeah and yeah, anyway, we just interviewed oh. this incredible doctor and she is a vulva doctor. Yes. essentially. And our key and cor- not a vagina doctor. so this is the thing that we are you've got to listen because this is the education that even Susie and I oh who are very acquainted, I'd like with, to think so with the terminology. Uh, especially Susie. And we, I knew obviously what a vulva and a vagina yeah. were, but many people do not. And if you say the word vulva, people get a bit weird about it. Yeah. Even though everyone that is the outside and the vagina is the inside. Yes. And I have to say, I understand why men don't know because if women don't know. No. How are they going to know? And why the fuck would they care if we don't care what we call it? If we don't care that we're calling it the right yeah. thing, absolutely 100%. And that she um, is involved with this clinic. She's a doctor at this clinic. Vulva. Okay, wait, hold on. I'm going to get it and then we can say it properly.
0: Mm. Um, One second. I did have it up and I had a glass of rosé and now I'm completely shot to hell, darling. Um, Okay, so yeah, Dr. Melanie, which is amazing that her name is Melanie. Dr. Melanie Altaz. Yes. Um, So the clinic is called the BC Vulvar Health Clinic. Mm -hmm. um, And it's obviously in BC. It's actually in the hospital um, in Vancouver. So if you're in Vancouver, you can um, go see her somehow. I'm assuming. I'm not sure how it works in BC. I think think probably the same as here have to be referred. But she is the coolest doctor. She's so calm. Her voice was like the most soothing thing I've ever
1: heard. It would relax you if you just oh went to. Oh my God. See, and most doctors are not like that. I'm sorry to everyone who's a doctor, but my experience <laughs> has not been that. No. Doctors often don't have very good bedside manner. No. Which I find quite strange as to why you became a doctor dealing with people. But anyway, that's a conversation for and another episode. And
0: she just has the most, yeah, just the most, the most wonderful energy and she makes you feel comfortable talking about your vulva with her. And she I, did. you'll listen in this episode that I couldn't stop Saying vagina when I meant vulva,
1: and she kept on being like, Susie, you had vagina, vagina, vagina. But I think the thing we will stop talking in a minute, but the thing is, this is really useful for men and for women because there Mm -hmm. is a lack of education, Mm -hmm. women are not. Using the correct terminology for their own anatomy, therefore men aren't, therefore popular culture isn't, therefore nobody is. And that makes us quite ignorant as to everything surrounding the vulva vagina, which of course impacts your health, Mm -hmm. your mental health and your sexual health. And so I think that's very important to think about that, whether you're a man or a woman, whether you interact with vulvas and vaginas or not. That's right. Just important to know that. And also that they this particular um clinic has a lot of resources and a lot of information. So even though they are in Vancouver, mm-hmm. you could go and have a look at it, it might actually help you if you are a, a woman or a person with a vulva and you need mm-hmm. some help. This might say to you say to yourself, okay, I'm gonna look here. I'm gonna get some information and then I might know where now to go or what to ask my general exactly, practitioner. Exactly,
0: like, have you heard of vulvodynia? Because I definitely did not, but it's I, I it's, what that, but yeah, yeah. it's what they deal with. It's what they're specializing in and it's a very common with people with vulvas and they have an amazing Instagram. It's hello.vulva. Follow them, look at their Instagram while you're listening to this episode. It's so
1: good. And here it is. And here it is and-
0: Thanks for listening. Enjoy. And thank you so much for taking the time. I know being a vulva doctor is not easy. So you must be very busy with all the ladies and their vulvas or the people with their vulvas. And so we do appreciate carving a little small hour for us. It's very appreciated. Um, Um, And, you know, we're not going to we're not going to take too much time with it because obviously we want to get to know you. And we have. So many questions. So many. It's unbelievable. <laughs> Mel and I started talking about this, and we are just floored with how much we're like, "Whoa, wait! wait. Actually, I don't know the answer." To that.
1: We thought we thought we knew a lot, and we were quite well informed, and then we're like, "Okay, no." Oh my god! It's actually quite embarrassing.
0: It is. And sorry, Melanie. I just want to end this, Melanie. Sorry, because you're oh, both yes. Melanies. All the Melanies, Do- yeah. Can
2: I call you Doctor Altis? Is that um, correct? Yeah, so my last name is Altaz, Altaz. Um, but yeah, just call me Melanie though throughout. Okay, please. <laughs> Melanie, <laughs> Melanie is my Melanies. It's
0: so good yes. to be here with my Mel. <laughs> um, but yeah, uh, Melanie, if you could just give us a qu- a quick overview of who you are, what you do on a day to day, what are your passions, what does your vagina look like, everything about it, I want to know.
2: <laughs> Excellent. <laughs> Um, yeah, well, th- thank you for inviting me guys. This is, um, you have such a great platform, um, for us to have this type of discussion. I love it. Um, so my name is Dr. Melanie Altaz. I am a gynecologist in Vancouver, BC, and I work at a, um, a group of clinics called the BC Center for Vulvar Health. So we see all things of vulva. So, um, we see things, vulvar skin conditions. We look after vulvar pain conditions, um, we see a lot of um, women post-cancer who have sexual health um, concerns, and we also do a lot of general uh, sexual medicine as well. So that's actually all that I do. I used to deliver babies and, and work overnight, but four years ago, I, I left um, general practice just to um, just to work in the vulvar clinics. Amazing, amazing, amazing.
0: Well, honestly, that sounds very intense um, and, I mean, complicated to us because obviously yeah. we're not in
1: every not day remotely medical
0: and um i've spoken about this briefly on the po- a podcast with mel and mel was shocked when i told her but i've actually never seen a gynecologist i'm mm-hmm. 28 i was very mm-hmm. shocked and does that mm-hmm. shock you or what do you kind of think
2: about women who have never seen the gyno so I think that's actually um, that that's total. I think fine and um, and also really common. So I think we're we're really lucky um, in in Canada that our family doctors um, do primary um, you know do wonderful primary care and they're able mm-hmm. to do the routine screening. So things like Pap tests um, screening for. Um, sexually transmitted infections and, and at least um, for the most part, diagnosing and initiating um, some of the more common vulvar, uh, vulvar conditions, initiating management there. Um, But certainly if someone has any uh, chronic or recurrent vulvar conditions, that would be something I would say to see a gynecologist about.
0: Okay. Very interesting. Um, And I want to just bring the whole (laughs) conversation to the room. Mel and I had a conversation before we brought you on, Melanie, um, and we were so confused. And I want you to give us a little bit about it, like talk about it. um, What is a vulvar? What is a vulva? What is the vagina? And let's Mm -hmm. just help our audience. Help (laughs) us. Please. There's a lot of confusion. Oh, my God. So much. So much.
2: Oh, absolutely, and there is so much confusion out there, and I can tell you in the um, in uh, in the media when they mention the word vagina, they actually usually mean uh, mean the vulva. So yeah. the vulva is everything that you can see um, externally. So it's basically what you can see with the eye. So it involves the the. Um, labia majora and minora, so the larger and the smaller lips. It involves the clitoris. It involves the um, what we call the vestibule, which is the the soft opening to the vagina, as well as the bladder opening. So all of that is called the um, is the vulva, and the vagina is actually everything on the inside. So the vagina is is the um, it's like a muscular tube that goes from um, the the vestibule up to the um, to the cervix.
1: Mm-hmm. And so why is the spelling of vulva, sometimes vulva and sometimes vulvar with an R? Is there a oh, difference? No, it's essentially the same. Yeah. Okay. Because <laughs> we were, I, we, I was looking at that and I've never thought about it. And no. I was like, oh my God, is there another word I didn't know? No. I
0: was like, How do we not know this? I like- mean,
1: <laughs> we knew about the vagina and the vulva, but we're like, what's the vulva? <laughs> that was very confusing. Yeah. So it's just a preference. Some people use the R and some people don't. Exactly. Um, What do you think the impact of the fact that we don't use the words correctly has on women? The fact that I think, if I I, I think my husband does know, but I think a lot of his friends would be like, it's the vagina, what's the vulva? Like, who's heard of that? Mm -hmm. I think a lot of men, uh, you know, I'm 50, I think a lot of men in their 50s, 40s, 30s, younger, wouldn't know the difference. And women don't even. We say vagina all the time or some kind of variation, vajayjay, vajay, whatever the we hoo say, who. the hoo-hoo, whatever. What is the impact on women, do you think, the fact that we don't use these terms properly?
2: Yeah, I would I would completely agree with you. Um, we see many women in our clinics who um, who don't um, and it's not that they they don't use the proper terminology. They actually don't know the proper terminology. Right. Yeah. So as you mentioned, vajayjay, um, hoo-ha, we hear, or people <laughs> just say down there. Right. Um, oh, God. Yeah. And... I think definitely, vagina is the word that um, that is much more commonly used. And and as I'd mentioned, when people talk about the word, say vagina, they usually mean uh, mean vulva. And my feeling is that this is because we, um, because you know, our society is patriarchal, mm-hmm. and how we um, we sometimes will see women on. Through a man's perspective, so how do they relate to the man? And with the the vagina, yes, is menstrual blood comes out, and that's where ch- um you know if you have a vaginal delivery, the baby comes out. But mm-hmm. um a lot of the time, we're seeing the vagina as a um, as a vessel for um the penis or for right. something um, something sexual. And when we look at the um at the vulva, it really has no impact for men, really. It's truly a source of pleasure for women. So wow, with the clitoris. So interesting. Huh.
1: Yeah. <laughs>
2: so it's where the, the clitoris is. And um, and when you see the clitoris, all that we're seeing is the little clitoral glance. There's actually, mm-hmm. the clitoris is between 8 to 10 centimeters in size. Mm-hmm. And it um, the bulbs of the clitoris go around the the vaginal opening, so there are other parts of the vulva that are involved in um, in pleasure and in erogenous um, zones, but they're not necessarily a source of pleasure for for men. They're a source of pleasure for um, for women, and my feeling is because of that, it's um, it's one of the reasons that it's not it's not talked about very often, mm-hmm. and uh, and then we start to attach a lot of shame. A lot of guilt, a lot of dirtiness um, to uh, to the word to the word vulva. But I, yeah, I think that's changing. We're seeing it a little. We're seeing it yeah. a little bit more. Yeah, yeah. Um, Mel and I were just talking because we love the
0: show Sex Education. Do you ever watch yeah. it? Do you have time to I watch it? Even. I know, a doctor, you're <laughs> like insanely busy. Um, but we, it's an amazing show, and I recommend anyone watch it who has Netflix. It's incredible. Uh, what's her name, Jillian Anderson?
1: Yes, is the. <laughs>
0: Like she's psychologist,
1: a doc- yeah, she's doctor. a doctor. Sort of a sex expert, but she's a doctor. Yeah. And she uses the word vulva, but everyone sort of makes out that she's really intense and it's like too, sort of, they sort of make fun of her almost. And I think that's the same thing. I mean, if you honestly, in your everyday conversation, said the word vulva to women and to men, I think they'd make fun of you, Well, which just be ridiculous. Like, they'd just be like, ew.
0: Like, it's kind of a grosser word. I don't know why I have that impression, but it's not the same word, of course, as vagina, where it's just like, it's your vagina, it's your vajayjay, like, it's more fun, it's friendly. Valvas
1: just sounds very clinical,
0: Clinical, exactly.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. But it's got to have an impact if women mm-hmm. can't even use the correct terminology for their own body. Mm-hmm. That it, it's it's the work. That's what it is. I mean, it's amazing if you think about it. It's completely crazy. Uh, I
2: would completely agree with you. And it definitely reinforces the shame that a lot mm-hmm. of women have about their bodies in general, about their sexuality and their and their sexual and their sexual pleasure and that women's sexual pleasure is not something that's um, that's talked about or valued um, because of that. I think, you know, there's so many things where we see these long standing kind of ripple ripple effects. Yeah.
0: So is that what you're like um, in your day to day? What are you seeing the most uh, from women coming in or people with vaginas coming in? um, to your clinic or to your office and like talking about their problems, is there a most not spoken about, but what is the biggest problem that you're seeing
2: or issue that you're seeing right now? Mm -hmm. So one of the, um, one of the most common vulvar conditions that I see, uh, is around vulvar sexual pain. And that can be a condition that we call vulvodynia. Mm-hmm. which is a vulvar sexual pain condition um, where it's not due to another cause. So it's not due to a skin condition. It's not due to hormonal reasons. It's not due to inflammation. So that's um, one of the conditions that I see. And I also see a lot of, um, of sexual and vulvar pain around around menopause. Mm-hmm. Uh, when women are, are in their early 50s, late 40s and, perimenopausal, going into menopause, when their bodies are losing the estrogen. And estrogen is responsible for elasticity, stretchiness. So when women go through menopause, the tissue can become thin and easily irritated and cause day-to-day discomfort, but it can also cause uh, pain with intercourse. Mm-hmm. Um, those are probably the the two most common things that I, that I see amongst many, many others. Right. So vulvodynia, is that correct? That's correct. Yes. Vulvodynia.
0: Um <laughs> so that is what do you it's not a disease obviously
2: it's a it's a medical
1: issue disorder, disorder? is it a disorder?
2: So I would say it's a medical condition. A good condition. Yeah, or a a diagnosis. That that's actually really common. So you think um so women who have vulvodynia so most commonly they'll present with pain with touch at the vaginal opening. That's the most common presentation. not not all pres- people present that way though. And for many women it prevents them from having insertional intercourse and whether mm-hmm. that's um, with a penis or with a sex toy with a finger. Mm-hmm. Um, for other women in a non-sexual context, they'll also have trouble inserting tampons or mm-hmm. or menstrual cups or they may have trouble having um, internal examinations by a physician. And surprisingly, it's actually way more common than you would think. So many people will think, I've never heard of this, someone not able to have sex because it's uh, it's too painful. It. Oh, good, <laughs> <Yeah>. good. <laughs> yeah. um, but we think conservatively, about 8% of the female population has vulvodynia, And there are some studies that suggest it's even up to 16%.
1: Wow. wow. And does it present itself at a certain age? Is there an age range that you see you know, that mostly that's when it starts or or maybe when most people have the courage to come and see you or? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So it can affect um,
2: anyone of any age. Um, mm-hmm. And uh, we'll see there are two different kinds of vulvodynia. Um, one of the subtypes is what we call primary or secondary vulvodynia. And primary vulvodynia is someone where they've had the pain right from the very beginning. So maybe the first time they tried to put the tampon in, the first time they had sex, they weren't able to do it. But Mm -hmm. then there's another subtype called secondary vulvodynia. And those are women where maybe they could have pain-free sex for many years and then something happened and uh, they're now not able to have um, insertional intercourse. Is there a psychological piece to that? Something's happened, triggered it? So for some people there are, there are so many contributing factors. It's mm-hmm. uh, a condition where there's actually a lot of layers to it. Mm-hmm. So when you, when a care provider makes a diagnosis, one of the the parts of the management is actually to try to figure out for that individual, what is actually contributing to their pain. <clears throat> and for some people, it'll be um, uh, nerve So they may have um, nerve inflammation, nerve damage. Mm -hmm. They may have pelvic floor dysfunction where their muscles are really tight. Um, Mm -hmm. And there are some people where um, there may be an anxiety, a stress, fatigue um, component causing it. It's something... um, something that we call central sensitization. So that's where your nervous system is Mm upregulated. And when you have an upregulated nervous system, it can make you vulnerable to developing pain in your body. And things that upregulate the nervous system are those that I just mentioned, like PTSD, stress, Mm -hmm. fatigue,
1: anxiety. Wow. And and in turn, that's going to cause potentially sexual... Dysfunction, isn't it? Because you, the stress that's going to mm-hmm. cause you that you're going to avoid sex, it's going to cause problems with your relationships, and on and on it sort of goes. I would, I from my point of view would imagine. Absolutely, yeah. It's it's definitely one of the. It can be a
2: contributing factor to uh, the start of the the vulvar pain, but then it can be a factor that perpetuates and even kind of snowballs. So it becomes Mm -hmm. a, plays a bigger role, um, role down the road. And one of the reasons that it, it does that is because a lot of women with vulvodynia will, um, they may, when they seek out care with their care provider, uh, because vulvodynia is not very well known in the medical communities, a lot of women will actually be dismissed and Mm -hmm. they may have an exam and they'll be told, you know your skin looks normal. I think this is all in your head. Mm-hmm. Just have a glass of wine. Just mm-hmm. um yeah. I've had someone where they were told just to have a glass of warm milk and wow. um like a know. child. Like excuse me. Yeah. Right? I believe it. Oh. Yeah. Yeah. And so so many women will be frustrated with the healthcare system. They're not getting answers, but then that uncertainty, fear, and frustration, you can imagine how that would increase anxiety, oh. um, it would have an impact on the relationship, on their, yeah. the sexual part of the relationship, and, uh, and so you can see how that compounds and gets bigger and bigger. It's yeah, actually... It yeah, it actually. There, um, almost two thirds of women will will have to see three or more physicians before getting a diagnosis of vulvodynia. Oh,
1: I believe that hundred percent. Wild,
0: and you've said it's very common. What did you? How much percentage did you say again? So
2: conservatively eight percent, right? Likely yeah. up to sixteen. Wow,
0: like it's a lot of women. This, yeah. Does it? Is there something where it gets confused
2: with something else, and people are being misdiagnosed? So, sometimes when people present initially, Mm -hmm. it may be confused for a yeast infection.
0: Okay. So, uh,
2: and some women will even self treat for yeast infection before they see the physician, but then it doesn't work. Mm -hmm. And then they may go and see their physician. The physician sounds, oh, it says it sounds like a yeast infection. I'll just give you this prescription. Or maybe they do an exam and a swab, and the swab comes back negative for yeast. Um, And then eventually they're just kind of their physician is just shrugging their shoulders and saying, yeah. you know, everything's come back negative. Your skin looks fine. Everything looks looks normal. It's all in your head.
0: Right. And especially because the symptoms to this are like anything that could be a yeast infection or like an STI, right? Like itching, burning, hurts when you pee, does it hurts to have sex. And of course, the women all bear these horrible things. A lot of men sometimes don't. But So, yeah, I can understand why this would get so confusing, but you'd think that is like, is that why your clinic is so incredible is that it's kind of teaching other clinics that this is what exists. Please treat your patients Mm -hmm. as such.
2: Yes, absolutely. So one of our our goals and passions for a lot of uh, the team members in our clinic is to increase Public awareness, as well mm-hmm. as community provider awareness. So we do we do a lot of outreach. We do a lot of um, a lot of talks. uh, within the medical community. We have a really active social media presence um, and we feel we've reached a lot of people, a lot of people through there. And right now we're working on some resources for family physicians to help them diagnose this early on Mm -hmm. and to also start management. And uh, because vulvodynia is not something we're taught a lot about in medical school or in our residency training. And so I do understand why um, community physicians they they don't know what this is because they've never heard of it uh, mm-hmm. heard of it either. So we're trying to come up with really easy, efficient, accessible ways that community can, physicians can access the tools to um, to diagnose this earlier on. And we're also trying to reach out to to patients so that they know how to advocate for themselves when they're mm-hmm. um when they experience these frustrations with within the healthcare system. So what are ways that you can bring this information to your to your family doctor and advocate for for yourself?
1: Is the clinic a provincially funded clinic, is it private? Like how does somebody come to see you? Do they go through all the normal channels and then they're referred to you by their GP or whomever they've seen, or is it something else? No. So we we are a um, a government funded uh, mm-hmm. funded clinic. So we're
2: located at Vancouver General Hospital, okay. um, right in the hospital setting, and we uh, so patients are referred by their community provider. And that may be a family doctor, a gynecologist, um, midwife, nurse practitioner, um, just sends in a routine referral, which they can get from our from our website. Unfortunately, the, the wait time is very long. So it is yeah. about a year, a year and a half. And, uh, but you know, when you think about that, we see on average about 300 women a year with vulvodynia. So imagine wow. like we're seeing 300 people a year. Mm with this, with this condition. But when you think about it, if the population of British Columbia, um, if 16% of that female population has Velvodynia, we're still probably only seeing about one to 2% of women with with Velvodynia. So there are so many people out there who are afraid to talk to their family doctor about it, or if they're dismissed by a family doctor at their, at the, the initial time that they bring it up, then they may just accept that that that's what their life is going to be like. So yeah, there's so there, many are, people out there. Yeah, are there people coming from all over Canada or even all over
0: the world even to come see your clinic or or is that even possible? Because I know it's BC government funded. I'm assuming. So how like are there clinics in Toronto? Have you seen other clinics of elsewhere mm-hmm. that you're like this is great? We're actually making a difference. Or is it like there's not enough of these?
2: <laughs> we need mm-hmm. more. <laughs> Obviously we do, but you know what I mean? Yeah. So our clinic is, we don't see people from outside the province. So we see people from British Columbia and the Yukon as well. We're kind Mm. of connected. Um, We, and it's just because of our, um, of our resource and our wait time, we, we actually don't have the resources to serve, Mm -hmm. to serve our province. As far as we know, we are the only, um, kind of one-stop site for vulvodynia management. So we have a multidisciplinary clinic where we have a pelvic floor physiotherapist. We have several psychologists. We have a couple gynecologists um, and we have um, nursing and clinical care support for patients. So as far as I know, we are the only kind of one-stop place for vulvodynia. There are definitely um, many other people who are able to recognize and treat treat vulvodynia, but then they would have to set up their patients within the the community with a community physiotherapist, a community um, psychologist. And also because of our limited resources, unfortunately we just provide short-term care for people. We're not able to provide the longer-term care for people. So we do actually eventually set up um, our patients with community resources. We do, however, offer a fellowship, um, so an advanced training program for gynecologists to come and spend six months with our clinic, um, developing an expertise in vulvar disorders as well as, um, as well as sexual medicine. And those gynecologists go back to their community. So, so far we've trained three and they've stayed within Canada, um, one in Manitoba and two in Ontario. So I would say they would also be experts in vulvodynia. And I know yeah. you uh you did schooling in Toronto a little I did. bit. Yeah.
0: Yeah. I and did. it was but you chose to move back to Vancouver is that where you're from? No,
2: I'm actually from Halifax originally. Oh, so cool. Yes. <laughs> and, uh, you know, it's kind of a funny story because I had, I, I went to school, medical school in Toronto. Mm-hmm. And w- at that time we used to, when we were interviewing for residency positions, we would travel to, um, to the location to be interviewed. And the interviews happened in January. So we came to Vancouver and it was a beautiful sunny day <laughs> and people were just wearing sweaters and then... The next stop was Edmonton. The next stop with Calgary, oh and by that time, I decided that Vancouver was the place for me. So,
0: yeah, that is so great. <laughs> Don't blame yeah. you, yeah. Because yes. <laughs> mm-hmm. in January, that's that's a way to do it. Definitely. Yeah. I'm yeah. from Edmonton. If I got that trip to Vancouver, i would be like,
1: Yep, yeah, moving, moving quick. <laughs> <laughs> definitely. She's not a fan of the snow. No. Yeah. But what are the um what are the other conditions? What other things should women know about in terms of vulva health? Mhm. So in
2: um in sort of another set of clinics where we look after the vulvar skin conditions, one of the the most common things that we see are are just an inflammation of the skin due to um daily irritants that people that people are putting on their skin. So we would call that like a contact dermatitis or a contact inflammation. And particularly now, there's so much marketing out there about feminine hygiene product, mm-hmm. products. We'll see um, a lot of women who'll be putting all of these you know, weird, over-the-counter things on their vulva that actually um, are not necessary at all. So vulva skincare is very, very simple, but it can become easily irritated. So a lot of the time, we're, we're actually talking to people about about their vulvar, um, vulvar skin care, what to do on a daily basis, which actually just involves um, washing the skin at the most once a day with warm water and really, really mild or um, bland um, unscented products on the yes. skin, like a soap to wash wash the skin. So you don't need to use wipes. You don't need to use anything with essential oils in it, anything that's fragranted. Um, any of the um, exfoliants that people are using or the right. douches none of exfoliant. those things yeah
0: I so, have an exfoliant because exfoliant. I wax
2: though and oh, so you have to wax oh for the to, yeah yeah okay
0: you yeah. know or no. Yeah. I don't
2: think you do. That's what people do. That's what people use it for is if they wax. Yeah. Because um, then if you it. don't
0: exfoliate, it's like, you know. Getting yeah, grown hairs. Yeah. And it's just not a, it's a more pleasant wax experience if you exfoliate.
1: Well, I've had the whole the thing where they take out. The, the laser? Laser, yeah. So it's the all laser. gone. It's much easier. Mm, me too. What's the
0: best thing for your vagina? <laughs> oh, wax, yes. laser, shave? That's a very
1: good question. I'm assuming for your vulva. Laser.
0: Yeah.
2: Nothing in don't. the vagina. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> she vulva. caught me. She yeah. caught me. Don't wax your vagina, please. Damn it. Um, That would be tricky. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, So, so that definitely varies. So, um, so there are a lot of different beliefs on, about that. Um, There are some people who think that the, the hair, uh, the pubic hair actually plays a role in protecting the skin and providing natural oils. And um, sometimes people who, who kind of follow that um, or who, who believe that that's important would maybe recommend trimming the hair just with scissors if you want to keep it short. If you didn't like it, oh natural, which is also totally sh- fine. Yeah, <laughs> um, yeah, the, um, the a lot of people really like the laser because uh, it prevents the, they like that look, it feels more comfortable to them and hey. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but a clean. lot of people think it's cleaner and it prevents the ingrown hairs that some yeah. people can get with wax, with mm-hmm. waxing or shaving. Yeah, so it it you know, there's nothing really clear in that area of one, this is better than the other. Now, right. I would say people who have a skin condition, so some of the chronic skin conditions like eczema or um lichen sclerosis or some of the common ones we see, then I would definitely stay away from um from waxing or
1: shaving. Shaving. Right. You can get that on your vulva? Ex- you can get eczema, yeah. Oh wow that's, so itchy. And that that's very hard to get rid of. Almost impossible, isn't yeah. it? Because so it, yeah. uh, it one thing you said I think is really interesting. You're talking about women using all these products to to stay clean or whatever that smell nice or whatever. But I've heard of, you know, I can think of friends or or people that I know, women that I know who've altered their routine because a man, I'm afraid, or a partner has said something to them, has commented on how they smell when it could actually be perfectly normal. And so it sets up this whole thing in your head. And then obviously you go to Shopper's Drug Mart and buy every single product you can possibly find. And that starts this whole thing, doesn't it? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It absolutely does, yeah. And we will see that where people almost become
2: obsessive um, exactly, about yes. their skin, and because of you know something external to themselves, either someone said something to them, mm-hmm. or or they've heard a message uh, message through social media, um, yeah. or or in advertisements, and you definitely see it. And then it kind of starts the mind going and ruminating. And in that case, we'll see people will will overwash the skin and yeah, that will yeah. cause problems cause problems itself and it's um yeah it's re- it's really too bad that it's always such a a sad um sad situation when i hear someone who's been really impacted by something that a partner has said yeah, yeah. Like how do that. we how do we love our vaginas vaginas and vulvas let's just
0: yeah it's hard to not say it's the hard not them. to say yes, it it's, doctor it's hard not to say it yeah. um how do we love our vul- vulvas more do we do the mirror thing every day what do, what is the, what is the one thing do we talk to her what do we do you know why do we need to yeah. do the mirror thing you know just to look at her and just bask in her beauty yeah <laughs> that's what i would do if there was something i was like okay. you're great you know you do a lot for me that i don't give you
2: credit for you know, fair, fair enough. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. I think that's <laughs> a um, that's something that you could you could certainly do. I think everyone would be different, in what would what would work for them. But I think um, one of the most important things is to to recognize that vulvas come in all shapes and sizes, and that everyone is different, and recognize that everyone is everyone's completely completely normal. And then to start the education when people when people are younger, um, mm-hmm. so even with children, teenagers um, coming, whether that comes from, you know, their their parents, their their mother comes from um, their friends or their family or um, online messages that this is just a normal, um, beautiful part of the of the female female anatomy, and I think that's when you'll see that that those messages will kind of. Become almost like deep in your bones, something that you truly, truly believe in. And what is the
0: biggest education part of it? Like, is it just that we should be saying vulva or like, is it, hey, every single vagina is different like fingerprints? Like, what is the education on it that you would love for it to just be normalized?
1: Mm
2: Mm-hmm. Mm, That's a great, that is a great question. So I definitely think by using the appropriate anatomy is Mm -hmm. uh, anatomic terms is really, really, really important. And then, um, you know, perhaps it would go back to the, the sex education in you know junior high and high schools about ensuring they use the proper terms and moving away, or not moving away, but including beyond contraception and STIs, including a little bit about um, about you know female male sexual sexual pleasure um, from that that younger age. I actually mm-hmm. I would think that's really important. Yeah.
0: So like, not just STIs, let's get into the clitoris. Let's get yeah. clitorit. I was like mm-hmm. creeping your Instagram, like the vulva no. yeah. clinic mm-hmm. Instagram. And I'm like, yes, let's yes. get
1: clitorate. Yes. Everyone yes. needs to be at yes. this time. hundred percent. I, I think there's just so much ignorance. I think, you know, mm. like I said, I'm 50. I think it's taken me an entire life to learn all these things. And, you know, I find it fascinating that younger women who have so much access compared to my generation to information still aren't actually getting it. Uh, not, I don't mean getting it, understanding it, not getting the information to mm-hmm. them, not understanding the right pieces, living in a lot of shame. Like we talked about cleanliness, but I also think about women getting quite obsessed about how their vulva, how it looks down there, oh, you know, yeah, like all the surgeries abs- happening. Yeah. Obsessed mm-hmm. about mm-hmm. it. Do you have
0: an opinion on
2: these? What is it called, the vaginoplasty? What is the deal do, with this? Yeah. yeah, so the I think the one that you you're referring to is the Okay. and yeah. so those are on the um, so that's externally mm-hmm. where women or even sadly teenagers feel that their labia are not the right shape. They're too large. They hang down too much. Maybe they're uneven or asymmetrical and want them to look a certain way. And so they'll, um, they'll seek out surgeons who will, who will do what what they call labial reductions. And, um, vaginoplasty is, is tightening up the vagina. So right. If you've had a
1: child or, or, right. But where, where is the, the message coming that you're, vulva doesn't look right i mean where are they getting that message they've got to get that message somewhere to possibly decide i want to have surgery i can't even imagine where they're getting that message Porn, yeah Porn? but but why yeah, why does so that hard. tell them that theirs is wrong because everyone else's is different the hot girls have these itty bitty teeny tiny little baby vaginas right. vulvas.
2: Exactly. vulvas goodness <laughs> good stop yeah uh- that's where we think it's coming from it's um you know porn nowadays it's so easy to access it like Mm -hmm. super 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 easy and and that's what um, many people see on porn and that's both um you know men and women will see that or boys and girls will see that and they Mm -hmm. think that that approach to sexuality is normal but then they also look at the anatomy and they'll they'll worry about Um, what's normal. And then that may be where you get someone commenting on someone else's genitals um, that, Oh, this doesn't look like what I've seen before. And all you've seen before is porn. Right. (laughs) So, yeah. yeah. And you know what, what's interesting though, is that I had always thought that that applied to just, just women um, wanting their labia to look a certain way. And, but I've recently, I think there was an article in the Atlantic um, or New Yorker magazine, the last couple of months, about um, that men are also doing these things to enlarge their penises as well. Yeah. they don't feel they're larger and uh, large See. enough. Isn't that
1: it's just crazy on both on both it sides? It is really I think. crazy on both because and like, the w- pressure. Yeah, the pressure. Yeah. I mean, you think you're worrying about your weight. You're worrying about how big your boobs are. You're worrying about how you look, your face. You, I mean, and then you're worrying about what most people can't see. Yeah. I mean, it's terrifying, absolutely terrifying. And I, I just don't think people talk about it enough. They don't normalize it. I mean, I have two daughters. I'm very open. I talked about stuff. They probably most of the time tell me to shut up. It's too much, mum. But, <laughs> um, but, um, I, I just think the, for some reason, there isn't enough pointing to the right education. I mean, what you're doing is amazing. And there needs to be much, much more of it There really does because people, if people don't know what the vagina and the vulva is, then God help the rest of it, right? I mean, they're not, Mm. you don't know the basic starting point. I think that's going to be my thing this week. I'm going to ask everyone, do you know? (laughs) I think that's a conversation starter. It is. Yes. I agree. I completely agree. And I think that when,
2: when we start talking about it, or when we give people the language and the words to have these types of conversations, I think, I think that's a great starting point. And I think that, that will make things easier. I have, we have quite a few of our friends who, where they have their teenage children follow our Instagram. Mm-hmm. And then they decide maybe once a week to have a conversation about one of the posts that we have. And it's a, a great way to generate conversation.
1: And- That's so awesome. Yeah, it's an excellent you know, idea. Because then so if too. it's awkward, then you can use a medium, and a lot of people do find it awkward. If you can use a medium like social media that teenagers are using, and Use that as the bridge between the sort of awkwardness. I think that's an amazing that means that social media is actually doing something positive if you can believe it. yeah <laughs> I agree yeah. I agree. 100%. Um, 100%.
2: but yeah, and then just in a little bit of follow up to the the labiaplasty, it's not mm-hmm. just um, you know, women having the surgery, paying for it and having their labia look a certain way. There actually are so many complications of um. Of those procedures, and we've seen, uh, we've received referrals for for women who are in chronic pain because oh. too much was cut out, or oh someone cut a nerve, and oh. um, or you know someone where their 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 clitoris was uh, was injured. And oh my gosh! Yeah, so oh. there are a so lot sad. of potential. Like you're trying to look
0: hot, let's say in quotations or whatever. And yet, you can't even enjoy the one thing that you wanted to enjoy because you got this thing. That is exhausting. Mm-hmm. And that's so sad. Mm-hmm. And are these young women that you're seeing ha- that have it? Oh, yes. so yeah. sad. Yeah. It must cost thousands of dollars. Well, it's, it is really crazy because I remember I remember um, when I was a young girl, of course, and my labia started coming out a bit more. Like it was always like this like little thing, mm-hmm. my clamshell. And then it came out a little bit more. And I was freaking out to myself, being like, I don't know what the fuck is going on. Like, what is happening? I am I like was trying to push it back in. I had no oh, idea. Geez, Cause I was like, what is going on? Like no one tells you that your lady <laughs> is just gonna one day come out. A little obviously it's not like you know flopping in the wind, but it's mm-hmm. out there and
1: I'm like, I am weird. I am abnormal. But it's like anything it's to do with sex. Nobody has But that's the thing. I'm like, we don't talk about it at all. But why women don't talk to other women about it yeah. is the thing I don't Because they don't understand. know either. They get embarrassed. They don't know either, though. so much. We're so embarrassed about everything. And I talk to people and I say, for goodness sake, I'm British. I'm supposed to be super reserved. I'm not embarrassed. So you shouldn't be embarrassed. <laughs> <laughs> it's like... But yeah, people are so embarrassed about it. But I guess mm-hmm. the key is more and more education. We just, you just have to keep talking, keep being open, not being awkward. Mm-hmm. I guess that's the I answer, think, isn't it? I mean, I'll say. I definitely mm-hmm.
2: think so. I think talking about it and, um, or even, you know, accepting that it may be awkward in the beginning when you talk mm-hmm. about it. But is it okay to feel awkward? I think so, and yeah, then as great. you practice and talk about it more, then it'll become um, it'll become a l- less awkward and less less uncomfortable, and and kind of recognizing that maybe you'll say the wrong thing in the beginning, maybe you use the wrong word, and and that's that's totally fine. Just um, just keep on talking about it. <laughs> okay. Yeah,
0: I love that. Um, so do I. And you know, I'd love to kind of conclude this conversation this incredible conversation and again we thank you so so much for taking the time with us and i know our audience will really really appreciate um this and it's been so helpful and educational um but we ask this to all of our guests who come on and um you know in just the spirit of sharing truths what is the one thing that you would share with your
2: younger self Mm -hmm. that's a great question Um, you know, it's funny. I was, I was out to dinner with a friend on the weekend and we were actually talking about something, something like this. So I've really recently over the last few years, I would say kind of connected with, um, you know, sometimes when you get those little moments of joy, like Mm -hmm. it'll just maybe last a second or two. And apparently they're, they're called something. So they're called glimmers. Mm -hmm. And, um, and I think it's really, important to connect with your glimmers. And those are, um, that's actually what's guided me on my pathway to finding this niche within medicine. So recognizing um, that my moments of joy in medicine were connecting with people who um, who were in a place of suffering, were had, in a place of being dismissed. Um, and, and that's kind of where I found my, my flow and my connectedness and my, my peace within, within my, my practice. And so I guess if I could, um, have done that years ago, so I'm, I'm 50 now, if I had done this, um, like 20 or 30 years ago, I think I would have, um, maybe ended up, um, where I'm supposed to be a little bit sooner. So connect with your
0: glimmers. (laughs) (laughs) Well, doctor, you just gave me a glimmer, I think. Yeah, definitely. Good for good. you. I felt it somewhere at least. Very no. good. If
1: you can't help
0: yourself, sorry. But I love it. If you can't help yourself. You can It's embarrassing. Um, but thank you so
1: much, Melanie. Last little queries. Ju- just where can everyone go yes. and find you? Uh, your social media. Tell can us everything. tell us where they can find this yeah. great information? So we are very active on our Instagram. So
2: it's called hello.volva. Um, and people can reach out. We respond to our private messages through Instagram. Um, people can also find out a little bit more about our center at um, bcvolverhealth.ca. So that's our clinic center. We have a lot of handouts for people, and we also have an email address on there if you're more comfortable reaching out by email.
1: Okay, that's perfect. We will obviously mention that um, again everywhere so people have that information. Yeah. And uh, and even if they're not in BC, just that they know mm-hmm. they can find somebody somewhere. I think that's half the problem is people just don't know it exists. So that's helpful just to know that, yeah. But thank mm-hmm. you so much for your time. Yes, It's well great. Done. It's, for me personally, I think, thank God people are talking about this, <laughs> that people are being quote unquote normal about something that is completely normal Mm -hmm. uh, and not awkward, embarrassed or whatever. I I just think it's amazing. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Thank you so
2: much. Thank you. Thank you for having me. I hope to
1: speak to you again. Yes. Yes. um, And another.
0: And I'll ask, I'll just tell our little listeners right now if um, you have any additional questions as I'm sure you do, as we did. Uh, If you have any questions, concerns, comments, DM us. You can Instagram us, email us, go to sharingmytruth.com, leave us a voicemail. We'll share it all with Dr. Melanie and we'll have you back on the pod if you would be so mm-hmm. gracious with your time. Yeah, of I course. can't speak anymore. Thank you. She's
1: she's, <laughs> she's in awe. She's so done. Yeah. <laughs> I love it. Thank you, guys you are so great. much. Oh and speak to yeah. you very soon, we hope. Okay, wonderful. Thank, Thank, you. Thank you. you. Bye. hey Hey there there, Misfits. misfits there's a new podcast for the oddballs and weirdos who transcend all categorization it's called misfits making it oddballs doing cool stuff with a penchant for the irreverently heartwarming humor, comedian Lauren LaDiudice thoughtfully interviews fellow misfits. You'll meet creatives from SNL, Netflix, Late
0: Night, Comedy Central, The New Yorker, Vanity Fair, and more, as well as indie musicians, comedians, writers, artists, and entrepreneurs. What we have in common,
1: we're oddballs, and we're doing cool stuff. Thanks so much for listening. Please rate and review this podcast and follow us on social at Sharing My Truth Pod and leave us a voicemail on our website, at sharingmytruth.com, to share your stories and experiences with us. We'll see you next time. Bye. Bye.